Hello, friends. Hello, brothers. This is Justin with Masonic Improvement. And Dennis Yates with Masonic Improvement. And we have a very special guest. This, this interview is going to be with Brother Brad Kohanke. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, Brad, and thank you for coming on today. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. I appreciate the invitation. Before he has to brag on himself, I, I have to brag on, on him first because I, you know, Brad is, is probably one of my, my best friends in Freemasonry and, and my, my. Well, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that, Dennis. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know if he wants me to come out like that. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, but he, 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 and one of my most esteemed mentors in, in Freemasonry. And I I look up to him uh, like no other and, so it's it's very exciting to to have him on this program tonight and uh, get to get to talk with him and and dig into his mind and his book. So with that, I'll I'll let you introduce yourself, Brad, and 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 tell tell our our folks a little bit about yourself. Okay, uh, well my my name is Brad Kohanke. I am uh, a past master twice of. Davy Crockett Lodge, number 1225 in San Antonio. I currently serve as the Worshipful Master for Merritt Lodge, number 727. It's a traditional observance lodge, also in San Antonio. Um, and currently, I am the personal representative for the Sovereign Grand Inspector General for the Valley of San Antonio and the Scottish Rite. And and by way of my Masonic bio, I mean, those are the high points, I guess. So. <laughs> those well, are certainly higher than anywhere I, I have been, that's for sure. So uh, immediately, I, I, I recognize another topic I would like to discuss with you after, after we finish talking about um, what's upcoming, and that would be your traditional Observance Lodge experience. Um, but before we get into that... Uh, Brad, tell us a little bit about your book. Um, it's called Light Reflections, um, Philosophical Thoughts and Observations of a Texas Freemason. And it is a compilation of essays that I had written over the course of maybe a decade for my Lodge newsletter. And I rewrote them in chapter form to put in this book. And the idea behind it was to create something like, do you guys remember that series of books called Chicken Soup for the Soul? Yes, sir. Oh, yeah. So I was, I was hoping that it would be like that for Masons. So it's, it's anecdotes, it's personal stories, it's um, thoughts and observations that I had accrued over the years. And then in, in 2019, when I served as Grand Order for the Grand Lodge of Texas, I, I wrote historical observance orations and then the Grand Oration for Grand Lodge. And the, those comprise the last six chapters of the book. So it's about 286 pages, but I think the longest chapter in there is the Grand Oration, which is the final chapter. So it's the Grand. The rest of them are maybe three pages long. So the idea was to read a chapter every day or two and think about it and hopefully it'll provoke some thought and maybe stimulate some actions. So that's, that's exactly what I was thinking as, as I was reading it 
I, I, I get up in the morning and, and pick up a book every morning when I, before I do anything, I make my coffee, grab a book and sit there and read for a little bit. And so I've, uh, since the book came out, I decided that was going to be my first go-to and really though, I actually end up reading two books every morning because yours are short stories that you can read and think about and work on applying to yourself throughout the day and, and the upcoming years or whatever. And, and, you know, they're, it's a very cool book. It is exactly that chicken. It's just like chicken soup for the soul. It really is. I like it. Good. I appreciate that. I, I have always had this desire to be an author. Um, so that's what drove me initially to, to write at all. Um, I never thought that these essays would end up in a compilation, but I, I enjoy writing. I enjoy the process of writing and I enjoy trying to stimulate some thought and, and maybe um, get people to think about things in a different manner. And that's, that's why I wanted to write the articles for the newsletter. Um, Chris Williams, which is a previous guest of yours, was the newsletter editor. And he wrote his John Deacon articles, which are fabulous. Um, and although they're based on actual things that happened, sometimes I was even present at some of those things as they took place. He's a great storyteller and he, he elaborates on them in order to make them funny and, and you know, builds humor into his story and cleverly weaves in these moral lessons in his stories, but they're, they're presented as fictional stories. And I wanted to provide something that would do the same thing only in a nonfiction format in a more concise manner so that everybody that read the newsletter would have something that they would gravitate towards. You know, not everybody likes to read the kind of stuff that I write mm -hmm. and they prefer Chris's stuff and then vice versa. So we were, we were trying to provide content that, might appeal to a, a broader audience between the two of us. So see. That's how it got started. And then, um, you know, once, once I had done it for 10 years and realized I had so many, um, the idea of compiling them into a single volume um, seemed more feasible and you know, with Chris Galloway and Perfect Dashler Publishing looking for Masonic uh, books to publish, um, the timing was perfect. So. Absolutely. This, this I'd like to introduce is, is uh, one of the paragraphs from your book, and, uh, and it's, it's off the first section, Know Thyself, the, the first chapter. And um, the, the whole reason I want to include this is because it's something that Justin and I believe wholeheartedly and, and really um, I know that was Justin's goal in, in, in uh, starting the Masonic Improvement podcast. And certainly my, my desire to jump in with him, you know, was uh, 
is is for the same reason. But it, it says self-improvement requires much more than occasionally attending a meeting. It requires time for thought, reflection, and action. We must take the time to think about how we present ourselves as individuals and as a group to the world. Reflect on what areas we can improve and take action on necessary and, and take action necessary to make those improvements. Regularly attending Blue Lodge can help us in, in each of those endeavors. Your Blue Lodge is both a microcosm of the universe and a macrocosm of each individual. Man, when I, when I read that one phrase, I, I was in. I was, I was all in, ready to read the, the rest of the book. You know, that's, that's all it took for me. Um, Tell us your philosophy on 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 Masonic improvement on it on self improvement in in Masonic relation. <sighs> self improvement as it relates to the teachings of Freemasonry. I mean, that's a that's a broad topic to jump into. <laughs> um, you know, I, I said in there that. And I don't know if it's in that chapter or a later chapter, but improving yourself is, is not a destination, right? It's it's a lifelong journey. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people join our fraternity thinking that there are secrets to the universe that are going to be suddenly revealed to them during the initiatory process. And a lot of those guys are very disappointed. Um after the degrees are completed and the proficiencies are given uh, because there's not, there's not a lot of education going on at the blue lodge level. Um, I know I was disappointed. Mm -hmm. And so I, I set out to find that information and I did a lot of research. I did a lot of reading. I, I hung out with more learned Masons who were interested in the same things I was. And I realized that the education wasn't lacking because it wasn't supposed to be there. It was lacking because nobody was stepping up to provide it. And, and so at my lodge, we, we started this thing called the Davy Crockett light brigade, which was uh, we meet twice twice a month so we have 24 stated meetings a year and at every stated meeting we were we promised ourselves that we would provide a 10 to 15 minute educational program that was either educational historical or entertaining and that way the meeting was more than just reading the minutes, paying the bills, and, and going home. Mm -hmm. Somebody would actually get something out of the meeting. And we started off with five guys who were willing to write original educational programs. Um, but that very quickly grew to encompass almost every member, active member of the lodge. I, I think... At last count, we had over 50 guys who had given educational presentations over the last, you know, 10 years. Wow, um, wow. that is impressive. So that is awesome. when, when we talk about self-improvement in a Masonic context, 
the only ways you're going to do that is through education, right? Um, now you can, you can do it by merely being exposed to more learned brethren by spending time with those guys at the dinner table prior to the lodge meeting. Um, you can do it by getting together in philosophical roundtables after lodge or on off weeks or whatever. Um, but the most effective method is to have some sort of educational program in the stated meeting itself. And it, and it actually improves attendance uh, mm -hmm. at the meetings, you know? I, I remember when I first joined, we would have 80 guys at a stated meeting. And then over the, over the years, it deteriorated down to, you know, we were maybe get 15. But when we started the education, uh, attendance was back up into the 30s and 40s. So You start providing value and people start showing back up. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, you know, there's plenty of stuff to do out there um, <laughs> other than getting together for a marginal meal, arguing about whether or not you're going to pay the electric bill, approving the minutes and going home. There's, there's got to be some perceived value or people are not going to attend. So. Mm -hmm. I think there's quite a bit of value in the, in the quote that Dennis shared uh, regarding meditation on, on the lessons as well. Um, myself as a, as a former educator and we, I mean, of course we've all been to school, right? The fact is you can't, you can't hear something once and expect it to stick. Um, that would make teaching a whole lot easier if that was the case. You need it. You, when you design a unit, for example, when you're teaching students, you, you reiterate the same thing over a period of time to really drive home what's important to understand. And so if the only real Masonic experiences you have are through a uh, series of subpar degrees, for example, and then every time you go to lodge after that, it's simply uh, business minutes and uh, going home. There's no improvement taking place. And in fact, the, the lessons that you, that you may have begun to learn will quickly fall to the wayside as you're no longer being exposed to them or discussing them or, or reflecting in some way. Yeah, I agree. And, and I like going to degrees because those lessons, those moral lessons are reiterated every time you witness it. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's not just for the candidate and it's not just for the guys that want to perform. It's for all of us, you know, to be, to constantly be re-exposed to those lessons. I mean, you know, the 24 inch gauge lesson in the entered apprentice Mason's degree when, when we talk about a ruler or a yardstick or something and, and we're talking about it, we immediately go back to that lesson. You know, did I spend time with my family today? Did I do something good for somebody today? Did I spend time in prayers to the almighty today? Mm -hmm. You know, because that lesson has been reiterated so many times, but to the profane world, when they see a yardstick or a ruler, they're just looking at a measuring device, you know? Yeah. So through just constant exposure to that, 
that lesson gets ingrained in us and then we we see those items out in the world and it reminds us of those lessons so yeah a constant repetition is very helpful but another thing also is there are so many deeper lessons hidden in the wording of the ritual absolutely that most people don't pick up on the first time they hear it or the 10th time they hear it. And, and that's why those educational programs or, or philosophical roundtables are important because when you get together and you discuss it, some of the most profound lessons in life are those times that you come to the realization on your own. You know, you're, you're participating in a discussion and you have this aha moment and it sticks with you forever. Mm-hmm. And and that's the kind of stuff that I really enjoy, you know. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's the meat and potatoes of, of Freemasonry right there is is when when you get together as brothers and you and you start really going deep into and not all the opinions are gonna be the same when you're talking. And so you're you're all bouncing ideas off each other and then you're driving home and you say, Oh, well, now it just clicked. And then, and then of course you call one of the brothers and tell them, Hey, I get it. <laughs> I understand what you were saying. <laughs> yeah. You and I have had those conversations. We have, we have <laughs> on the way home from San Antonio, I've called you and Chris for the, for the very same things, you know, it's, 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 you know, those are, those are some of the, the, the best times in Freemasonry that, that I've had is, is, is those type of, of moments. Yeah. Yeah. That That's that's what I live for in, in masonry are those moments. Brad, I would like to ask you about your traditional observance lodge. Okay. Um, would, would you, would you expand a little bit on, uh, particularly for those listeners who haven't heard of traditional observance? What, what is, is it? it? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, it, it's a it's a touchy subject because not everybody agrees with the idea that those should exist. Okay. It is a lodge that tries to incorporate um, traditional modes of entering and exiting the lodge room that harken back to European and especially um, British lodges in the 1700s. So there is a ritual for entering. Um, We wear tuxedos, white gloves. Uh, We have music that plays during the entry into the lodge. Um, We have burning tapers instead of flashing light bulbs for our lesser lights. And then there is a particular ritual and music for exiting the lodge room. But from opening gavel to closing gavel, everything that we do is Texas work. It is nothing in between the gavels is anything different than any other lodge does. So all of the traditional observist aspects are in the way that we dress and in the way that we enter and exit the lodge room. We do gather for a meal after the meeting is over and have an educational program, and then each member is allowed to offer an opinion um, over dinner 
on that program. Um, but it's, it's not a topic that needs to necessarily be tiled in order to be discussed. If it is, we close the doors and don't let the staff in until we're done. So is this a lodge that was it pre-existing and adopted traditional observance practices or is this? Yeah, I think so. I mean, we are, Merritt was originally chartered up in the Dallas area and uh, in 2000, they were on the verge of losing their charter because the number of members had dwindled so, so badly. And there was a group of, of brethren here in San Antonio that decided that they wanted to have an, an educational lodge. So they talked to those guys up there and they asked them if, if they joined, could they move the lodge to San Antonio? And those guys agreed as long as they could remain endowed members. And so the lodge was reconstituted in San Antonio. And then over the course of a couple of years, it became more of a traditional observance lodge. Um, it's not the only one in Texas. I think St. Albans Lodge in College Station is also a TO lodge. Um, I have never been there, but I know some of the guys that are members. Uh, I visited St. Albans. I had to, I mean, it was a great, it was a great experience for me. And uh, I've been told that it's not strictly like they don't consider themselves traditional observance that's that's what i was told I, I don't know if they fall technically under that under that uh definition or not but uh it is a great lodge it's a great experience yeah so yeah my, go, ahead. go ahead no you go ahead i'm sorry i was gonna say i you know in in watching the the netflix shows about the freemasons and all that and they show the grand procession it at the grand lodge of of england and and even with their constituent lodges you see them walking in, in in grand procession, at least to the to the cameras. I I'm watching and I'm thinking, are they doing that every time, or is that because the cameras are here? <laughs> but but at the same time, you know, they know how to do it and they're doing it. And and that's I I wonder to myself, why can't we have that that kind of experience? And I guess that's what that's what uh, Merritt Lodge does, and 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 the other lodge, very very cool, very cool. So my, my next question is why traditional observance? And by that, I mean, what, what does this traditional observance, uh, these set of practices offer that is uh, appealing to you and, and the other members? Well, I can, I can only speak for myself. Um, uh, and I, I can assume that the same holds true for those guys. Um, there is value in the in the history of our fraternity, and there there have been so many changes made over the course of centuries that I think we've lost some of the importance of being a distinguished group of gentlemen. Um, I, I don't know if you guys have read the book by Andrew Hammer called Observing the Craft. Mm -hmm. um, he makes so many excellent points in that book. Yes, he does. 
And I think we, we had him as a guest speaker at our lodge one time. And I, I tend to agree with almost everything that he says. And I, I think it's a shame that we don't put more value on what it is that we do. Um, you know, our, our dues payments are obviously too low. We, we devalue ourselves by um, seeking to increase membership and not quality of membership. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's this, there's this desire among several of us to go back and re-examine where we kind of went off track. There's another group called the Masonic Restoration Society that is worth checking out as well. Uh, I believe Andrew is a member of that. Several of us are, are members of that. But, uh, you know, getting, getting together in jeans and a T-shirt and paying the bills and having pizza, reading the minutes and going home, that's, that's not what this organization was supposed to be about. It was supposed to be about a group of distinguished gentlemen who would get together and exchange ideas on the most important topics of the day. And, and maybe even, you know, act as leaders in their own societies or cities or towns or whatever and you don't see that much anymore and it's a shame what's interesting about well you said a lot of things that are interesting frankly I, I took several notes but what was interesting about what you just said is we often lament that the that the the uh the the leaders of our communities are, are no longer are no longer masons um but if you look historically just just even just here in texas if there was a a like a like a influential man early that was early on in the foundation of texas or any of the counties or any of the communities they were they were masons more often than not and Mm. often often you'd see the same name involved with the county and the state and a few cities and uh, we've we've come a long way from that. Yeah, in, in particular, uh, among all of the states, um, you know, the, every president and vice president was a member of the fraternity. Eighty percent of the Senate and and Congress were members of the fraternity, and yet only fifteen percent of the population were members of the fraternity. So we we were the leaders uh, politically of of Texas. And I read not too long ago that the the star on the Texas flag was not a copy of the stars and stripes star. It was the five pointed star of the Masonic fraternity representing the five points of fellowship. And when one of our guys was asked about it while visiting New York city, he said, Texas is definitely a Masonic country. And pointed to the fact that the star was on the flag. I love it. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's, that's very interesting. When you were talking about the, um, 
<clears throat> about the the loss of the loss of tradition and and whatnot you know going through my mind i'm i'm thinking of of, of how we see things and how how well in in our social worlds over the years over the generations we've become individualistic people and you know in, in freemasonry of course it's it's the freedom of thought and 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 expression and and whatnot and and our nation has become such a free nation but within mason we within masonry we have the 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 freedom of, of thought and expression but it seems like those traditions are meant to hold you together as a group and and remind you that you are one body and you are going into this together and you're going out of the world together and and you those ideals are shared ideals between all of the 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 body and taking them out so you know they share their own individual thoughts inside the lodge and and, be, and it becomes a, a a whole ideal a whole um um way of living and and then they take it out into the world and they take it out together into the world and i i think that there's something to be said about that and that i think that's something that um that ties right into what you're talking about about our founding fathers and and how they 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 you know created this this great institution we live in this great state we live in and and uh we have a lot to owe to them and and we should definitely honor and and pay tribute to to uh to the past for sure yeah and it's it's no it's no coincidence that the the greatest leaders of our times in this country and and beyond have been members of the fraternity mm -hmm. um yeah. World War II, World War One, the revolution, the, not just the revolution in America, not just the revolution in Texas, but in South America and France and Mexico and Italy. You know, all of those great revolutions that were aimed at taking power from a tyrant and giving it to the people were led by Freemasons. And it's it's because of the teachings of the fraternity and the and the beliefs and values that we extol and, and teach our members. You know, it's, it's no coincidence that, that we were the ones that were leading the charge of, um, you know, governments of the people, by the people, for the people, you know. Mm -hmm. to, to piggyback off what, what both of you said, it's not, it's not the fraternity that would ever encourage someone to run for an office. The fraternity would never do that. But it's the it's the lessons themselves, and I think as as you grow as as a as a man and as a leader, you're naturally going to seek out opportunities to to serve others, and that may be a uh, public office or volunteering or or an organization or, or or something like that. Uh, it's the same thing with with charity because we a lot of lodges focus on on charity and they try to run themselves more like service organizations and it's not you know faith hope and charity we got we got those three pillars and it's not saying that we should run ourselves as charities but rather as we grow as men and as we uh 
find ourselves able to do so, we should be more inclined towards charitable causes. We should be particularly to our brothers. Um, but these are, these are things that aren't facilitated by the organization itself. They are, they are the results of the lessons as we integrate them and grow. Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, I don't remember where I heard this, but I, I was recently exposed to either another podcast or something that I read. But, you know, the, the idea of us being a char- charitable organization, we are a charitable organization, but we're not a charity. And, and to your point, the, the fact that we're charitable comes directly out of the lessons that we're taught on a regular basis. If we were just a charity, we wouldn't need all the ritual trappings of the opening and closing rituals, the degree conferrals, um, the initiatory practices that we have. You know, the the uh, Red Cross doesn't do that. The American Cancer Society doesn't do that. So there's something more to us than just being a charity. You know? it's, a, it's a lot of bells and whistles just to fry fish. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> With that, with with that, I'm gonna steal one more quote from your from your book, and it's and it's on the, your section of the golden rule. And I'm gonna make it real quick. Um, my favorite one is is, I guess it's pronounced Taoism. Is that correct? Taoism, yeah. Taoism. Okay, thank you. I'm I'm still Texan. I'm gonna. <laughs> <laughs> you're lucky I didn't say Taoism, <laughs> but, but uh. It, the saying for the golden rule and and you express it in all the different religions you show it in all the different religions and every one of them has the same thing it says the same thing but i love this one the most and it, it says regard your neighbor's gain as your own gain regard your neighbor's loss as your own loss you know how can you how can you be a human being and and if you have that philosophy and not want to bring everyone else up to be as, as strong as you are, you know, help, help everyone around you to, you know, build up the society instead of suppressing and, and keeping it down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that chapter. Um, that came out of a discussion that I had with one of the wives when we were teaching officer leadership training, when I was on the education committee and, and she was, of the opinion that um, masonry and Christianity might not be able to coexist, so to speak, because we allow men of all faiths to join. And I, I told her basically what I wrote in that chapter. You know, there are two things that all the major religions agree upon. And that is that there is a God that loves us and that he wants us to love one another. Mm-hmm. And that first thing is not what Freemasonry focuses on. That's the job of the temple, the church, the synagogue, the mosque, whatever. Masonry focuses on the second thing, what it actually looks like in everyday practice to love one another. And that's what we are all about. Absolutely. And so since all those religions have that in common, we, I don't think go against anybody's principles by trying to focus on the things that we share. 
instead of the things that divide us. Brad, tell us why you joined Freemasonry. So, um, I have been on a spiritual quest probably since I was about 15 years old. I, um, I have been interested in and reading tons of material about um, the various religions of the world. Um, I got to the point where I was uh, convinced that if I went for far enough back historically, I would find the original belief system that was common to everybody. Um, so over the course of time, you know, I, my dad was a Mason, my grandfather was a Mason, but they never talked about it. You know, we didn't, we didn't have family picnics. We didn't have family nights at the lodge. The lodge was for the guys. All I knew was that he was gone once a month for some kind of secret meeting and he never talked about it. And so you know, I, I move around for a while. I get my career started. I moved to San Antonio and I'm still pursuing this spiritual quest, trying to get a better understanding of where I fit into things in the universe and what my relationship with God is and what it is that I'm supposed to be doing here. And this was back before the internet and back before Amazon and all that stuff, right? Even before the big box bookstores like Barnes and Noble. So, in order to find books about some of these obscure topics that I was interested in, I had to go to a specialized bookstore and look through a book of available titles of these, for these topics. And I went to the bookstore, the twig it used to be on Broadway. Now it's down in the Pearl. And I had made a list of like five books that I wanted to order. And they, they had to be special ordered. And I took the list up to the desk and I gave it to Les Adams, who was the manager of the bookstore. And one of the books was called Duncan's Ritual. And, and he looked at the list and he was typing in the order form and he looked and saw Duncan's Ritual on there. And he goes, are you a Mason? And I said, no, sir. And he goes, well, good. Because if you were a Mason, you wouldn't be allowed to have this book. And I was like, oh, really? Well, that makes me want it more. All the <laughs> more said, enticing. Well, yeah, if, if, if you're interested in masonry, we're having a meeting next Tuesday. Why don't you come visit our lodge? So I did. It was Davy Crockett Lodge. And I went and visited. And I met some of the guys and got to know them. They got to know me. And I, I ended up petitioning the lodge. And I called my dad. And I said, hey, I just wanted to let you know that I'm, I put in a petition to become a mason. And his first words were, oh, my God, I thought you'd never ask. <laughs> Which, you know, totally ticked me off because if I'd have known I had to ask, I'd have probably done it a long time before that. And I'm sure that there's tons of guys out there that have had the same experience. But um, I, did, I did. I came to it of my own free will and accord through just a, a search for a better spiritual understanding of my place in the universe. And... So that's, Very that's nice. how I came in. I love it. So, and that's, and that's the perfect segue for the next question, which <laughs> I would say would be, um, how did the reality of Freemasonry compare with your expectations? Now, I know you went into it a little bit, you know, prior, but, but I, I think you could expand on that just a little bit more. 
Yeah, you know, I joined in 1991, so I've, I've been a member for 30 years now. And I'm, you know, I was disappointed. I mean, I enjoyed the initiatory experience. Um, I particularly liked the Fellowcraft degree. I don't know what about it appealed to me, uh, but there's something, there's some things in that lecture that really uh, spoke to me, still speak to me. And, and so, you know, at that time, you couldn't go in the lodge as an entered apprentice or a Fellowcraft to experience a meeting. You, know, you couldn't go in and, and be part of the group until you were a Master Mason. I remember so there was days. this big buildup of, you know, what to expect when you got to finally come into a meeting. And when I finally became a Master Mason and was allowed to attend, and all we had was a reading of the minutes and a paying of the bills, I was, I was crushed. I was really disappointed. Um, but I stayed active for a good many years, um, hoping somehow that things would change and maybe I'd find somebody that would lead me in the right direction. I got good moral instruction from the degrees and watching the degrees and, and talking about the degrees and talking to the guys over dinner and stuff. But after about five years, I, I just started to lose interest. I, I wasn't, I didn't feel like I was getting much out of it. anymore. Interesting. And um, it wasn't until my dad passed away that um, I was compelled to come back. I, um, you know, when, when he knew he was not long for this world, he sat me down and said, you know, when I go, I want to be buried wearing my apron. I want to be buried wearing my 14th degree Scottish right ring. I want you to call the secretary of Clear Lake Lodge number 1417 and arrange for a Masonic funeral. Make sure the tombstone has a square and compass on it. You know, he gave me all these instructions and stuff. And when he passed away and I called those guys, um, and I had known them when I was a little kid, but I hadn't talked to them for years. And they said, we'll be there. We will be there. And on the day of his funeral, 18 guys showed up. And it was the week of Thanksgiving. Wow. Wow. And I remember standing up there and giving the eulogy. And at one point, I, I started to lose it. I really did not know if I was going to be able to finish. I got pretty emotional. I looked over at one of the guys sitting in the audience with his apron on. And he just he was sitting there with his arms crossed watching me. And as soon as I made eye contact with him, he just went, like, you can do this, you know, you can finish. And after it was over, we went to the grave and they performed the service and I got to stand there with them and wearing my apron and my sprig of evergreen and everything. And when it was over, my wife commented, you know, the Masonic service was more meaningful than the church service that was performed. I'm like, yeah, you're right. And, and right then and there, you know, I, I, I knew I had to come back. And when I came back, I came back with a vengeance. You know, I was, I was like, I didn't get this when I first started. And if, if I can't get it, I'm going to try to give it. And, and so there you go. Um, I, I really threw myself into it. And that, 
that's where we are today. <laughs> well, Masonry, thanks you for being a rebel. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's all because of uh, Charles Harvey, the master at Clear Lake Lodge. He's unknowingly had so many different impacts on me. And if you read my book, you'll you'll read the chapters about him and how many times our paths have crossed over the years. And not knowing it was even him having an impact on me time and time again is heck of a guy. I really thing I, go ahead. I was gonna say I really related to um the beginning of the story where you where you said that you you had to wait for a long time before you could sit in master's lodge. It was like that. Uh, I, I came in on the tail end of that, but it was still like that for me up until like a year or two after I turned in my master's degree. And it was, there was definitely some uh, anticipation to sit in an actual lodge meeting. And my experience was just like you described. I went in there very excited and it was just minutes, pay the bills and go home. And I, I went for a while as well. I kept thinking maybe, maybe I just went to a, a bad meeting. Maybe <laughs> something, something would, would come up eventually, and it never did. And I, I'm afraid that I, I know that other people have, have echoed very similar situations, but it's the first time that I've interviewed somebody that had a very similar, a very similar story. Um, that's, that's, it's something we got to fix badly. Yeah. And, and when we were talking earlier about the, the value in our history, um, I think that that part of that is what intrigues me. It, you know, we had a tremendous boom in membership after the first world war, and then probably 10 times that after the second world war. And I love those guys, you know, uh, the, the ones that are left, I still spend as much time as I can with because I, I get so much out of the conversations that I have with them. But there were so many of them that we kind of lost what it was that we were. Uh, and we became that social club. I agree. Um, where, where, you know, they had established a bond in battle and they were looking to rekindle that. And they found an ability to do that in the Masonic Lodge. And unfortunately, you know, the, the high level discussions on philosophical topics and stuff had degenerated over time to where it was, it just became what we experienced when we joined. And, and I think if we go back to what we were prior to the point, um, the guys that are coming in won't experience that same problem. I mean, the fact that you guys are doing this is evidence that, you know, we're getting back to that. And, and I, I, I love that. I appreciate that. I think if you look historically, the, the generations you're talking about, they were joiners. And so they, they came back from, from World War One, World War Two, And they didn't just join Freemasonry. They joined Rotary and, and Lions and Kiwanis and Elk Lodge. All these organizations are different than Freemasonry. But I think when you have so many people joining all these organizations at once, they're going to take on officer positions. And I think over time, the the uniqueness of any of these organizations is going to go away in favor of running everything more similar. And so I think I think that's 
like you're touching on, I think that's probably about the time that we started losing a lot of what makes us unique aside from our, our, our degree work and our memory work is that we just had so many, and I, I don't mean ill. I don't, I'm not speaking poorly of these guys, but they, they, they ran Freemasonry like Rotary or like the Lions yeah. Club. And that's why so many Masonic lodges today look like service organizations. Yeah, I agree. I, and that's a great analogy. Um, if you go back and you read some of the short talk bulletins from the early 1920s, and then compare that to what's coming out now, there's going to be a lot of similarities on the top types of topics that are being discussed, the depth at which they're understood, uh, the willingness to tackle the difficult subjects. But in between then and now, there's, there's a big gap where we didn't really want to delve into much uh, in, in the deep end. <laughs> it would offend members. And then we, we wouldn't be able to keep all the temples open. Yeah. Because <laughs> we had to build a lot of them when we, had, when, we, when we got all that membership. We had to build a lot more of them. Yeah. Brad, what are the strengths and weaknesses of our fraternity? Well, <laughs> boy, that, that's another tough question. I mean, I, we've touched on a lot of the weaknesses. Um, I think one of our biggest challenges is that we are, are trying to be all things to all people. And we don't want to portray ourselves as uh, elitists. You know, we don't, we don't want to come across as arrogant. But the reality of it is the organization was meant to be a gathering of special gentlemen who, you know, were willing to tackle the tough ideas of the day and offer solutions and debate the difficult subjects and, and provide guidance and direction for society. Um, and, and the fact that, that so many of our lessons are, based in a moral understanding of how to best live your life and how to best contribute to society makes us uniquely positioned to produce those leaders. Um, so I, I think if we go back to that and start focusing more on that, maybe society won't be in such trouble anymore because it's, who else is going to take up that banner? You know, I, there was a, an article from Midnight Freemasons that I used to read to the classes at officer leadership training where the guy was in California and he had gone to a, a grand lodge meeting and the grand master had stood up to give his talk. And he said, we're getting a lot of new guys joining, but we don't understand what they want or why they're joining or where they came from. And he was appalled because, you know, here he is joining because he had been told that, you know, the truths that he was seeking, the things that he wasn't getting from school or the media or the newspaper or 
textbooks would be provided in the Masonic fraternity. And, and the fact that, that their grand master didn't know why those guys were joining really bothered him. They, they joined to be taught the truths, you know, to the moral truths. Um, there's I, only, I, there's I, only one reason why people should be joining. Yeah. And if, if, and it shows that we, we've uh, gone off track or lost sight of that. And that, that's the weakness. Um, but the right. strength is that it's, it's still there. We just, we are suffering through a streamlining event right now that maybe isn't such a bad thing. It, feel, it feels very transitory. Yeah. We're, we're in a, uh, like a limbo right now where we're, we're not quite where we want to be. And we're still, we're still dealing with um, old mindsets and old mentalities. Yeah. But it, it's also exciting at the same time because we're getting to see this happen. So I'm, I'm, you know, like you mentioned, you know, with the podcast, this is, this is such a, a cool and unique way to, to get the word out to folks and, and get people interested in, in these topics of discussion and, and, and whatnot. Well, you know, this is happening. It may be this, the minority right now, but it's, it's happening throughout all the lodges. I think, I don't, I don't think it's, I don't think it's, you know, just a couple of lodges here and there that's doing this. I think you're seeing these younger guys coming in and not, and, and I got to say, there's a lot of older guys mentoring these younger guys too. And, and that is very impressive and exciting, but I, I'm excited to see how and how we merge with the, the culture of technology and, and build upon the traditions as well and, uh, and end up, I'm, I'm pretty excited about it myself. I am too. I don't, I don't, I don't know the time when I'm, I've been more optimistic about the future of the fraternity. Um, right. You know, I, I certainly didn't feel this way 30 years ago. Um, <laughs> I didn't feel this way 10 years ago. I was going to yeah. say the same thing. <laughs> and it's odd too, because our, our membership numbers have continued to decrease um, be, because of, you know, unfortunately the death of, of a generation of joiners. Um, but the guys that are coming in are like you said, Justin, are coming in for the right reason. And, and so there are, there are groups of guys getting together all over the country in philosophical roundtables and discussions and zoom classes and podcasts and after dinner meetings and, and talking about, you know, the interesting philosophical aspects of masonry and the moral teachings of the craft. And um, that's that I didn't see that 30 years ago and you didn't see that 10 years ago. Um, so it, it is exciting and, and I'm very optimistic about the future. Rolling off of that question. So where do you see our fraternity in the next 10, 20, 30 years? I think we're going to get down to a critical mass. I think um, a lot of the the big temples and, and cathedrals that were built to house the 300 plus new members that were initiated into the Scottish Rite twice a year um, are are probably going to be lost. 
Um, and we, you know, we may not have these big, beautiful edifices that we built when we had millions of members, but the quality of the membership, the quality of the experience, um, and our ability to actually maintain our smaller facilities, I think will improve. And um, so we're, we're nearing the low point now. And then once we get there, we'll begin to, to rise again. You know, I don't think we'll ever have as many members as we did after World War II, but I'm not sure we were ever meant to, to be honest with you. No, I don't think we were. You know. I, I, I tend to agree. Yeah. Well, I would like to, if everyone is open to it, uh, there was a, a resolution I wanted to discuss this, this evening uh, while we still had time. Uh, I'm particularly looking at resolution number 11. And I will, uh, I'll read it aloud for the, for the listeners. Uh, resolution 11, whereas taking lodges in that, in a that is in labor. Okay. Taking pictures in a lodge, I presume that's what it's supposed to say, that is in labor, is currently not permissible according, according to Grandmaster's decision of 1963, number two. And... Uh, question the question was asked if it is permissible to take pictures inside a lodge room when it is at labor and the answer is pictures should never be taken in a room while it is in labor and even when called uh when even when called off extreme care should be taken in connection with taking pictures in a room whereas positive public exposure benefits our masonic organization and whereas the Grand Lodge website displays photographs that provide for a positive image of masonry, and whereas photographs should be taken by knowledgeable brothers who will not display masonry in a negative light nor expose Masonic secrets, and whereas some Masonic events that occur while a lodge is in labor should be documented through the use of photography, therefore be it resolved that Article 224 be amended as follows. So a new article, 224C, photographs taking in a lodge at labor. No photographs may be taken in a lodge at labor except for those taken by a member of the Grand Photography Committee or a knowledgeable person designated by the Grand Master, except that any Master Mason may photograph the presentation of the Holy Book of the Candidate's Faith and Apron in the Master Mason's degree. So I was, I was curious, I'll, I'll, as usual, I'll reserve my thoughts for last, but I was curious what your thoughts, both of your thoughts were on this uh, resolution. <laughs> You're first. Hey, who wants to start? You're, You're the guest. <laughs> uh, so I get to go first, huh, without knowing your opinions on it. <laughs> I have a feeling they're going to differ from mine. Um, I have vacillated on this this idea of allowing the public access into the lodge rooms. Um, there's a lodge in our area that doesn't open their lodge room to anybody until they are brought to light. The first time they see it. 
is during the initiatory experience. And there's some value in that. Um, so the idea of publicizing pictures of the inside of lodge rooms, and I don't know if I'm being old fashioned or, or historical, but I don't know that that does much for us other than take away some of the mystery, some of the intrigue. Um, it also concerns me because there are things that happen in the fellow craft degree and the master's degree that if pictures are posted might ruin the upcoming experience of the next initiates in those degrees, things that they don't see until they go through that experience. Um, yeah, they don't know what's coming. Yeah. But it, yeah, yeah. And and you know visually what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I'm afraid that if you allow pictures in, in a lodge at labor, some of those things, maybe inadvertently or not, will get out there and might ruin the experience for somebody. So, you know, we've, we've never taken pictures during a lodge that's at labor, but we've taken pictures afterwards. You know, we just did a master's degree last night. 35 people standing with the new master Mason up at, in the East um, posted on Facebook. So uh, I don't know why, why we would want to take pictures during labor. I, um, I was thinking about that as well. And, and I can see the, the, the lure because everyone wants to post everything on Facebook. And I'm, I'm one of those guys. I post a lot. I do. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, I, I think that we don't post enough about our fraternity and we don't market ourselves properly, you know, it's, but at the, on the same note, I don't think that's a marketable object. I don't think that's, I don't think that's necessary to be posted on Facebook. Now, if, if it were to be worded to where a photo can be taken to be given to the member for their records or for the, for their personal photo album or, or to, you know, to put in the, in the Bible or whatever. Sure. That to me, but they can do that outside of the, the labor as well. I have to tend to agree on that because, because of that, um, they can take a picture with that, with all the brothers, you know, with them at the same time in, in their apron with the, with the, you know, and, and so I think that, um, yeah, I, I, I gotta say, I, I tend to agree on this one. I, I have to take the conservative approach on it because there's there's some things I just really don't think that people need to see when when the lodge is in labor and and you never know if they're trying to get the angle of this one thing but something else is back there and they didn't realize it until after they've already posted it or yeah. something else. You know, you just really never know. 
it's it's tough you never know what's going to be on the floor or what's going to be on the wall or what's going to you know it's you just never know brad i think i think what's old school is coming back around again because i uh i agree as well with with both of you (laughs) um that with with a little asterisk beside what i just said because i think i think online uh, particularly social media is, is probably moving forward the new face of our fraternity. That's where that's where most people's eyes are, and so it, it makes sense to to post things. It, but by that I mean, like you said, uh, after a degree, everybody stand in the east and take a picture, or or I often take a selfie and tag myself at the lodge whenever I go to the lodge. Uh, something I think I think being visible on social media is very important, but I don't think. I don't think all kinds of visibility is positive. So uh, as to what you, what you're both saying, I don't think, I don't think there's any benefit to be gained from posting pictures uh, in a lodge while 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 it's open or anything like that. I just don't see the, I don't see the benefit of that when you can already post, you can already do so much. You can post so many things as it is. I, I feel as though the article uh, to be frank is, is a, it's not really necessary to, to, and, and the reason I say that there, there is a part where they say you could, you could take pictures of uh, the Bible presentation, the apron presentation during a, during an open lodge. Uh, I, I've taken pictures of Bible presentations and apron presentations, but not during open lodge. So as soon as lodge is open, as soon as lodge is over, you, you recreate the presentation You take a picture of, of, whoever handing it to the, to the candidate. And, and, and there you go. It's no different uh, from a, uh, from a photographic perspective. It still conveys everything that goes across, but you do it without doing it in open lodge. I also am not a fan of non-Masons being in a lodge. And there's a, a very specific part of the uh, EA catechism and lecture that, that conveys um, the importance of of the first time you you behold a Masonic lodge, well that that's kind of lost if you've already if you've already been in there. And I think as well, they're in, they're in certain parts of the degree. Um, without going in a lot of detail, I, I think when you when you know what the lodge looks like, it takes some of the some of the mystery out of certain parts because you you're you're, you're pretty aware of what the what the structure looks like. Yeah. So I um. And I'm not trying to I'm not trying to beat down on on any of these resolutions that we talk about in any of these interviews or anything, but I also want to be I'm a very minimalist person. So I think if it's not necessary or if there's some way around it, why 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 contribute more to an already very thick book? Yeah. <laughs> Everybody I t- I t- knows what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. I I tend to to uh, to to think that folks that are maybe maybe or here's here's my my thought maybe these these folks that that are wanting to do these things that are that are wanting to make those kind of special moments visible or or whatever maybe it's because they're not experiencing all that freemasonry has to offer when I when I think of what I want to see on a on a Facebook page or on a or, or blasted on on my website is 
I want to see somebody giving a presentation with some nicely dressed individuals eating dinner and 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 talking about discussion. That's what I want. I want those pictures up on yeah. Facebook showing showing the the real fun, the real special moments like that. You know, I when when you don't have that, maybe that's why you tend to pull to the other items that we really shouldn't be. Dennis, what, what you just described is knowing your target audience <laughs> and advertising towards that. And, and exactly. it's, it's funny, but it's true. If you want to, if you want to attract these, these young men, that's what they're looking for. Yeah. Men are, I mean, they're looking for a reason to throw on a tux or a nice suit. Show them that this is a reason. This is something worthwhile going to. I mean, and, and have an intellectual discussion, you know, with, yes. with, other like-minded individuals or maybe a debate with somebody who differs of, on opinions, but whose opinion you respect. Um, you know, there, there was a time several years ago where we went through this phase where every grandmaster was requiring us to have an open house. And I, I, I really didn't like that. I, I didn't want to do that because, you know, they had these cards and explanations of everything that was in the laundry. So these guys that were pros- prospective joiners, um, everything had already been explained to them as they were walked through the lodger. You know, they were shown the altar and explained its meetings and they were shown the pillars and explained their meetings and the officer's seats and everything. And, and so what's so special about being brought to life? And why would you, why would you want explanation to see it? officially in the ritual, you know? Why would you what want to see a movie it. if someone's already told you all the spoilers? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. What, what killed it for me was the very first one that we did. I uh, I was so excited to be up there and, and show the different hats and stuff like that. Just cool stuff, you know, just the regalia. Because we have a lot of old regalia in Goliad. We have a lot of good talking points in Goliad that you don't have to go into the ritual. So we're fortunate with that. But we're up there and I'm excited to to go through our history and this and that. And and the first guy that walks through the door, the 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 greeter says, Well, there ain't no secrets in Freemasonry. You can find it all on the internet. And it's like, are you kidding me? Really? <laughs> <laughs> Time just to wrap up and go home at that point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, Brad, uh definitely appreciate you coming on. Uh, again for this for this interview this has been a fantastic discussion do you have any any parting parting words or or anything you'd like to share before we wrap this up i want to reiterate again how optimistic i am about the future of the fraternity because things like this are happening all over the place you know you you guys are doing this podcast which is fabulous um but there in addition to that there there are uh, philosophical roundtables taking place all over the all over the state and all over the country where these guys are getting together. They're having a nice meal. They're getting dressed up. They're they're having an educational program or at least a topic of discussion. They're all participating in the discussion. Um, they're they're getting out of Freemasonry what they joined for. And. We hear a lot from the conspiracy theorists that there's this inner circle of masonry. And when you try to tell them that there isn't, they say, well, you're just not high enough in the organization and you haven't been exposed <laughs> to it. 
So you just don't know because obviously they know more about my fraternity than I do uh, because of the internet, right? Um, but in reality, they're kind of right. You know, there, there are inner circles in the organization, but they're not a hierarchy that you climb to. There, there's these small groups and gatherings that take place all over the country where 10, 15, 20 guys will get together and have these deep philosophical conversations and talk about the moral lessons that are taught by the fraternity. Those are the inner circles. You know, those are the, those are the things that, that you're looking for. And, and the fact that so many of them are happening now, and 30 years ago, I couldn't find one anywhere, is very encouraging to me. And, and so if you are participating in any form or fashion, listening to podcasts, reading the literature that's being put out now, or the literature that was put out 100 years ago, or, or listening to these podcasts or participating in these podcasts, you can consider yourself part of the inner circle because this is what it's all about. Very nice. Yeah, I love it. I love it. And uh, I, I can only imagine back in the 90s, but 10 years ago, uh, I mean, I felt like I was on an island. I mean, I, granted, I'm very rural where I'm at, very rural Texas, but it felt like an island. And everything now feels so much more tight knit, so much more close together. Things like, like this are, are much more common. They were non-existent even like 10 years ago, or at least, at least I didn't know where to find them. So absolutely on point. Um, Bradley, Brad, thanks again. Uh, I, I can't, I can't tell you enough uh, how much I appreciate you taking time out of your evening to come and, and talk with me and Dennis. Uh, fantastic interview. Dennis, do you have anything you want to add as well? I, I think that, all I would like to add is is that if you haven't seen or or purchased the book on Light Reflection uh, on on Amazon, Light Reflection, it's a very nice book. You see my two dollar bill. Everybody that knows me knows that that's uh, if it's a book. If I die, then it has a two dollar bill in it. If it doesn't, it's got a regular bookmark. So, Brad, you've got two bookmarks in here, two two dollar <laughs> bills in it. So my boys will be keeping this one. I, I wish that there was a, a hard, hard, hard cover so that I could, you know, really, really nicen it up. But I'm there, sure that's a hard cover. Well, then I'm getting one. <laughs> <laughs> my younger, my younger son will hate me for giving him the the soft copy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the hard cover came out last month. So. But I, but I also would like to to say that if anybody that's listening to the podcast or watching the YouTube channel, um feels like they're on that island because we've all been there at one time or another if you feel like you're on that island reach out to to uh masonic improvement because we're going to get you in touch with the guys in your area that 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 can uh that can help you to achieve the goals that you're looking for in freemasonry because you know that's that's what we're here for is to is to strengthen our fraternity as as a whole together so that's that's all i got wonderful thank you thank you for that dennis I'll put the Amazon link to the book in the video description uh, as well as for the podcast. All right. Well, thank you again, everybody. Uh, This has been a terrific interview and I will see everyone in the next podcast. Thank y'all for listening. Take care.